Hey TTRPG fans, this is Kayla from the Potions and Potpourri Casual Chat Podcast. You're listening to Tale of the Manicore Podcast. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 45, the companions depart Rosloff's farm, where they had traded their labor for a roof and a warm meal, and continue along the road west towards Nepule. It is on this stretch of road that Bazu is invited to join the party and the church, officially, and accepts. The story then cuts to Krell, who is just waking up in the king's bed. Krell's star has been rising lately, and so he is enjoying a moment of self-congratulation when he is interrupted by a knock on the door. It's one of the prison wardens. He wants to report an incident. Actually, it appears he cannot or will not say what has happened, and instead leads Krell down into the bowels of Whitestone Castle to see for himself. We are not privy to what Krell sees there, but it's clear that some awful violence has taken place, impossibly, behind the locked bars of two of the dungeon solitary cells. The episode concludes by rejoining the companions. After a long day on the road, they have arrived in the rough town of Black Creek. They head to its only tavern and try to order food and lodging, but they are interrupted by an antagonistic man named Rosefingers and his gaggle of thugs. Rosefingers has seen a flash of silver from the Silverthorn Blades hilt and insists Yellowfly hand it over. It's a situation that has gone bad, but it's about to get much worse. Although I am chomping at the bit to get into a good dust-up, there's something I need to do first, and it won't take long. In this episode, Bazu reaches level 4, and since a combat situation is almost definitely about to erupt, I think it's wise if I do the level up first. Ready? Let's get into it. First up is hit points. Bazu gets a d6, minned out at half, but with a minus 1 penalty for his poor constitution. The roll. A 1 on the die. Bazu gets just two extra hit points after adjustments, bringing him to a new maximum of 13. Not great, but whatever puts a little extra distance between the Cleric and Oblivion is a good thing, right? Next up is potential stat increases. Strength. A six, not what I was expecting, but it makes some sense, I suppose. 11 goes to 12. Still shy of a bonus here, but I'll take it. Intelligence. A one. Wisdom. Five. Dexterity? I've got a four. Constitution. Now, Bazu could really use a six here, even though it would not clear his penalty. The roll. A five. Just missed it. Charisma. Oh, wow. Another six. Eleven becomes twelve. Something about being asked to join Yellowfly's gang must have somehow changed Bazu. 
Perhaps he feels a new sense of belonging, something in short supply, now that all of his colleagues have been arrested and imprisoned. To complete this level up, Bazu will gain access to one second level spell. Unfortunately, since clerics pray for new spells in the morning, and it's currently night, there will be no new spell added at this time. Chapter 46, Part 1, Day 125, Night, Party Status, Yellowfly, 30 of 30 hit points, Shawnee, 22 of 22, Jace, 31 of 31, Catsbane, 15 of 15, Bazu, 13 of 13. Spells available, Catsbane has memorized, read languages, Magic Missile, Invisibility, and Mirror Image. Bazu has prayed for Cure Light Wounds and Detect Evil. Be a good little Lord Lambkins and hand over your sword. I don't think I'll be doing that, just so you know. But I'd be happy to buy you and your friends a drink. How's that? Folks who were acquainted with Rosefingers knew that when he picked a fight, sometimes he played the killer and sometimes he played the clown. It looked like this time, at least for now, it was the latter. The big man pretended to consider the proposal, stroking his beard like a sage and contorting his face for comic effect while his cronies <laughs> cackled and guffawed. Egged on by them, he turned to Shawnee. Oh, look at this sweet kitty. Got some claws too. I like that. You want me to pet you, kitty cat? Do you? Rosefingers used his free hand to touch his chin when he mentioned claws, indicating Shawnee's scar. It didn't make much sense, but the lewd intention was clear enough. Even so, Shawnee might have given this man a pass, but his beard, girth, and rotten teeth gave him a passing resemblance to her former urchin lord, Dacha. She glared back at him with menace, and he laughed in her face. <laughs> but he was not quite done with his abuses. And who are you other three ladies? I'm sorry, you're actually men, aren't you? He pantomimed a noble bow and made a flourish with his meaty hand towards Briar, Bazu, and Catsbane, kissing the air in front of him. My apologies, but you must agree, it was an honest mistake. <laughs> A few more chuckles chorused after these last comments, and then, without warning, Rosefinger's smile disappeared and his brow darkened. All right, enough fooling. The sword, on the table, and your purses too. Save us the time of going through your pockets later. The only response was the hiss of steel as blades on both sides were drawn. Entering combat. Rosefingers is a fifth level fighter. He has a strength of 17, giving him a plus two bonus to attack and damage on top of his level to hit bonus of plus three. He has an AC of 12 and 32 hit points. He and his men all fight with longswords. His followers are all level two fighters and will have the same AC and hit points for the sake of simplicity. Leather armor gives them an AC of 12 and for hit points, it looks like they each get 10. There are six of them, giving the enemy a slight numbers advantage. From their perspective, this should be a fairly easy fight. They might be in for a surprise, but there's only one way to find out. Let's begin. Round one, initiative, the party. A four. Rosefinger's gang. A two. Well, Yellowfly tried to resolve this encounter peacefully, but when Rosefinger's intention to attack, no matter what they say or do, becomes clear, he attacks the man with blinding speed. 
Now, Yellowfly doesn't know this, but the Silverthorn is a magical sword, endowed with a plus two to hit and damage. He only needs a six to hit Rosefingers. The roll. A two. There's a table between the two men. Yellowfly lunges right over it, but Rosefingers steps back as the tip of Yellowfly's blade darts at his face, barely missing. <coughs> Shawnee will attack a henchman. She needs a 10 to hit. Her roll. An 11. That's a hit. She slashes out at the nearest man, doing two damage. <coughs> Jace also attacks the henchman. While Shawnee has gone around the right side of the table that separates these two groups, Jace has gone around the left. His roll. Natural 20. That's maximum damage plus two points. That's 10 points, and it's enough to kill this man. Jace's blade flashes out and slits the man's throat, who drops his weapon and collapses to the floor, gasping and gurgling. <coughs> For Catsbane's turn, he will cast Mirror Image. As the spell takes effect, he will get one to four illusory doubles. It's going to be just one. Bazu is unarmed and unarmored. He runs behind the bar, looking frantically for a weapon. As for Briar, he hides under a table behind the one they are fighting around. Now it's the enemy's turn. Rosefingers grabs the edges of the table and shoves it towards Yellowfly in an attempt to pin him between it and the table behind him. Now there's no rule I know of for this kind of thing, so I'm just going to say he can do it with a successful strength check. Success will mean that Yellowfly will take one point of damage plus Rosefinger's strength bonus and suffer a minus two penalty to his AC next round. For this roll, a low result will indicate success. A two, that is a total success. Yellowfly takes three points of damage as the tabletop slams into his pelvis, shoving him back and pinning him. Yeah. <clears throat> this also provides a clear space for Rosefinger's men to engage at will, and they do. Two of the henchmen attack Jace. They each need a 14 to hit. I'll roll these dice together. An 11 and a 6. A miss and a miss. Two other henchmen are on Shawnee. I'll do the same thing and roll these two dice together. Again, they need a 14 to hit her. Wow, a 10 and an 11. She manages to parry these attacks and is unharmed. There's one more henchman. He rushes up to Catsbane and will only need an 11 to hit. I've got an 18. That is indeed a hit. But, luckily for Catsbane, the blade pierces only the mirror image, dispelling it, but leaving the spellcaster safe. What? Well, that is the end of round one, and I'm going to say that it belongs to the companions. But, of course, anything can happen. But we are on to round two. Initiative. The party. A one. Rosefingers gang. A two. Rosefingers was caught off guard when Yellowfly had pounced on him, but this is his turf and now he responds with ferocity. I'm gonna split your head like a melon! Rosefingers makes an overhead swing straight down at Yellowfly, who cannot properly dodge. He only needs to roll a seven to hit. He's got a 13, that is a hit. And he does. Three plus two is five points of damage. Yeah! Yellowfly has managed to parry the blow, but the force of it still shivers his arm. Now he's down to 22 hit points. As before, Jace is fighting with two henchmen. I'll roll their attacks together. They need a 14. I've got an 11 and a 14. One of them has flanked him and managed to get in a hit. Four. Luckily, just two damage. <coughs> Likewise, Shawnee is facing two of Rosefinger's lackeys. Their rolls. A seven and a five. It looks like these men's skill cannot match Shawnee's. She manages to swat their blades aside. Catsbane also faces a henchman, and now he has no mirror image to protect him. 
The henchman only needs an 11 to hit him. Ooh, a 19 is a hit. That's bad. Cat's Bane is stabbed for eight points of damage. <laughs> he goes from 15 to seven, and suddenly he is in real trouble. Furthermore, the successful hit disrupts Cat's Bane's casting of magic missile, and the spell is wasted. Now it's the companion's turn. Yellowfly is actually close enough to help Catsbane as he frees himself from between the two tables. He only needs a six to hit the henchman. I've got a six. The blow that should have missed actually hits as the sword seems to somehow self-correct Yellowfly's aim mid-arc. Rolling damage. Five plus three is eight points of damage as the Silverthorn slices through leather and flesh. This man has just two hit points remaining. Shawnee needs a 10 to land a hit. Mm, another 20. Way to go, Shawnee. A six on the die means 12 points of damage. Shawnee beheads this man in one clean swing of her short sword. Can Jace follow suit? He needs a 10 to hit. He's got a 10. That's just enough. And his attack does six points. A solid hit that takes the henchman's hit points down past the halfway mark. Catsbane, as mentioned before, will lose his turn because his casting of Magic Missile has been disrupted. Bazu has run behind the bar. He's looking for a weapon of some kind. He grabs a wine bottle and tries to use it as a club. He's nearest the man attacking Catsbane and needs a 12 to hit. A 19. The wine bottle will do one to four points of damage. Two points. That's enough to kill the man Yellowfly wounded seconds before as the cleric clubs him over the head. <coughs> As for Briar Patches, he is still hiding under the table, as far away from the combatants as he can manage. That's the end of round two, and I was worried for Catsbane for a moment there, but I think the party has won this round as well, taking down two more thugs and leaving Rosefangers with only three henchmen, one of whom is badly wounded. This next round has the potential to be a decisive one. Round three, initiative. The party, a six. Rosefingers gang, a three. The companions can feel their momentum and press their advantage. Rosefingers is within reach for Yellowfly, who can also put himself between the Brute and Catsbane. He does so, making an attack. Get behind me, Catsbane. Yellowfly needs a six to hit. A 16 on the die is more than enough. Ooh, an eight plus three is 11 points of damage. A blistering series of strikes leaves Rosefingers with just 21 hit points. Let's see how Shawnee is doing. She needs a 10 to hit the man she's facing off with. An 11, that's a hit, but for just two points. How about Jace? He also needs a 10 to hit his man. A five, that's not good enough. Over to Catsbane. The magic user pulls free his dagger, but he cannot find an appropriate target with everyone engaged in melee. Bazu, behind the bar, also considers throwing his wine bottle, which miraculously did not shatter when he killed the henchman. But, like with Catsbane, in the chaos of melee, he cannot safely aim a shot. Instead, he looks for a better weapon behind the bar. Is something there, I wonder? 50% chance that there is. The roll. A 53 means there is no weapon hidden behind the counter. Briar is still hiding and effectively out of this combat. Now it's the enemy's turn. Rosefingers thinks that if he can take down Yellowfly, the others will crumble. He only needs to roll a nine to hit. A seven is a miss. Yellowfly has parried his heavy blow. The two henchmen on Jace both need a 14 to hit. I'll roll two dice together. A one and a five. Wow, not only has Jace parried their blows, but he has managed to trip one of the henchmen who scrambles out of the way to avoid being hit. 
How about Shawnee? She's only facing off against one man. A 15, that is a hit. Shawnee is going to take just two points. It's barely a scratch and leaves her with 20 hit points remaining. But the fight is not over. We are on to round four. Initiative, the party. A two, Rosefinger's gang. A five, even as his men fall about him, Rosefinger's will not admit defeat. He redoubles his efforts, ordering his men to kill him, kill him all. Once again, Rosefinger's attacks Yellowfly. He only needs a nine to hit. Wow, a three. Yellowfly easily turns his blade away with the Silverthorn, which flashes even in the low light of the tavern. There are three henchmen left. One of them has crit failed and will miss his turn. Another one is still attacking Jace. His roll. Another three. Jace also parries the blow, handling the men with seeming ease. The last remaining henchman is attacking Shawnee. He needs a 14. A six, yet another miss, ah! making this round a total loss for what's left of Rosefinger's gang. Now it's the party's turn. Yellowfly counterattacks, needing a six to hit. He's got a 13, and does five points of damage, opening a gash on Rosefinger's forearm. This takes him down to 16, or half of his original hit points. It's going to force a morale check, even if all the other PCs fail their rolls. Now it's Shawnee's turn. She needs to roll a 10 or better. She's got an 8 and fails to score a hit. Jace also needs a 10. A 13. Six points of damage. Jace slashes with his longsword again and again, which trails streamers of blood. Six points kills the wounded one, and now only two henchmen remain. It's Gatsbane's turn. He throws his dagger at the one who crit failed and scampered out of the reach of Jace's sword. An 11 will hit. Wow, a 16 on the die is a 17 after Caspian's dex bonus. He does two points of damage as the dagger clips the henchman. Perhaps Bazu is inspired because he decides to throw his wine bottle. He also has a dexterity bonus and needs the same to hit as Caspian, an 11. 20! Ha! The bottle smashes against this man's head for... Wow, seven points. The man has a single hit point remaining. That's the end of this round, and no reasonable person would continue this fight, but I am going to roll for it. It's not so much a case of wanting to surrender as having the chance to do so in the heat and fury of melee. I'll give Rosefingers a morale of 8, and if I roll over that on 2d6, he'll drop his blade. I got a 5. There's no chance to surrender, and judging by the look in Yellowfly's eyes, it wouldn't be accepted anyway. The fight continues. There are now just three combatants on each side, as Bazu and Catsbane have expended their missile weapons. It's round five. Initiative. The party. A five. Rosefinger's gang. A five. Simultaneous combat. If anyone goes down, they will still get a chance to attack. Up to the PCs first. Yellowfly needs a six. And rolls. An eight. It's enough. He does. Five points of damage. Rosefingers instinctively holds up a hand in defense and loses a finger for his lack of good judgment. Ha! Shawnee will need a 10 to hit. Oof, a one, a crit fail. The henchman desperately shoves her back against the bar and she drops her sword. The man looks for an escape path, but the only way out is right through Catsbane. And how about Jace? His roll? An 11, and he only needed a 10. There's no need to roll for damage. Jace plunges his sword through the man's heart, who dies gasping on his blade. Now it's the enemy's turn. 
Rosefingers will make a desperate attack. A 19 will hit. He hacks frantically at Yellowfly and connects. Luckily, I rolled just a one on the die, so Yellowfly will take just three points and still has 19 left, whereas Rosefingers has only 11. <coughs> the henchman on Chane is going to try to bull rush Catsbane, shoving right past him to get to the door. Catsbane, weaponless, has no choice but to let him go and steps out of the way. Now, Jace killed his man, but this was simultaneous initiative, and so he will get one last chance to attack. His roll. A seven is a miss. <coughs> At the end of round five, only Rosefingers remains. Another morale check is required. 2d6. Anything over an eight means surrender. An 11. He drops his sword and sinks to his knees, but it won't save him. If Yellowfly wasn't happy to do it, Shane would be. Fly is, however, and without hesitation or mercy, shoves his sword deep into the man's gut. <laughs> Combat is over, but at that exact moment, the door to the kitchen bangs open, almost giving Bazu, who is standing right beside it, a heart attack. In the doorway is the innkeeper, holding a heavy crossbow in his hands. He quickly scans the room and, seeing who has won the fight, lowers the weapon. Unexpectedly, a broad smile overtakes his face. Oh, happy day, he exclaims. Finally, finally, the reign of Rosefingers is at an end. Yellowfly and the others, chests heaving and hands bloody, watch as the innkeeper opens a bottle of wine and fills their cups, which are still lined up as before on the bar top. You have done this tavern and this village an enormous service. Have a drink. My best Zacian sour on me. Everything is on me. Then, go upstairs and see to your hurts. Leave this mess to me, I'll clean up everything. Yellowfly silently indicated all the bodies and raised his eyebrows minutely. Feed for my hogs. Not to worry. Leave it all to me. Now, drink your drinks and go to your rooms. I'll even send up Bess with some food. Anything you want. It's all on me. In the morning, just leave the keys on the counter here and know you have my eternal thanks. Are you old enough to remember physical gaming magazines? You know the ones, the ones you bought from your local game store or ordered via mail. The ones we couldn't wait to read back in the 80s, 90s and 2000s. The ones that filled our little gaming hearts with joy. Well, I'm bringing back that joy. D12 Monthly is a zine for the world's oldest role-playing game and comes out at the beginning of each and every month. You can get a PDF for free from my website or get a printed physical copy sent to you by joining my Patreon or buying direct from the site. Better than just getting bills in the mail, go to yumdm.com. That's Y-U-M-D-M.com to scratch that itch that's been bugging you for the last 20 years. Chapter 46, Part 2 Day 125, Night. While the party was dealing with the unwelcome attentions of Rosefingers and his men, Krell was pacing the King's Solar. He had a lot on his mind, or at least he should have. Carrick had long been missing, and there was his recent falling out with the mad wizard Sorodioth, whose whereabouts were also unknown. The royal jester was likewise gone, and he had information that could prove potentially incendiary. If those concerns weren't enough, High Priestess Ernest had told him about the retrieval of Ilward's sword and of her belief that demonic forces haunted Whitestone Castle. And now, adding credence to what at first seemed a wild claim, there was the mysterious violence in the dungeon right below his feet. 
In truth, Krell found it hard to care about any of it. For some reason, he found himself preoccupied with the memory of his visit to the solitary cells and what he had seen within. It had been absolute carnage. The bodies of brothers Eckhart and Terrigram were barely identifiable as having once belonged to human beings. It was as though they had exploded. There was blood everywhere, including the ceiling, impossibly. Chunks of flesh, indistinguishable from blood-soaked bits of torn prisoners' shirts, speckled floor and walls alike, as did broken bits of bone, organs, and brain matter. It had been revolting. So why was he unable to keep himself from reliving the experience over and over? If he were being honest, part of him wanted to go back and look on it a second time. It was late, and if he did, he might miss his visit from the lovely Sivan. But, in a way, the idea of looking upon the charnel house cells was somehow even more appealing. Krell snapped out of his dark reverie and was disturbed to find himself grinning and drooling. He quickly wiped his mouth and shook his head to banish the ghoulish thoughts, looking around unnecessarily to make sure he was alone. Of course he was. In fact, this part of the castle was as silent as a grave. He decided it would be best to turn in and at once made his way to the king's former bedchamber. Once there, he disrobed, snuffed out the candle, and crawled into bed. In the morning, Krell awoke somewhat bewildered. It was the strangest thing. He could not remember whether or not Sivan had paid him a visit during the night. As usual, the bed was empty but for himself, and there was no trace of the young woman's having visited. But there had never been any. He laughed nervously, amusing himself with the idea that perhaps she did not exist at all, save for in his dreams. Krell got up and dressed. Before he left the bedchamber, he hesitated, then crossed to the far side and removed something from the wall. One of the numerous decorations and treasures to be found here was a life-size face of Vesaluna, worked in gold. Until this morning, he had always quite liked the religious piece. It had seemed to gaze over him with a beatific serenity, like a protector. Now the pupilless eyes seemed to glare at him with scorn and judgment. He placed the golden face on a side table, resolving to stow it away in some closet or other later on, and left the room. As the captain of the city watch, he had numerous duties requiring his attention. Krell neglected them all. He walked down the hall and descended the stairs, then crossed the first floor, ignoring all those who saluted or greeted him, and made straight for the dungeon. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help to support it, there are lots of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and repost episode announcements on social media. You can check out One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone for their continued support of the show. At this time, please allow me to share one of your kind reviews. This one is on the Podbean app, and, well, it's more than a year old. Sorry it took so long to feature it in the show. It was submitted by Jake Work. Jake Work writes, Just to put in, I have most definitely enjoyed everything you've done. You've done amazing meshing this style of writing and sheer randomness of the story. It flows great. Thank you very, very much, Jake Work. 
I absolutely appreciate the time you took to write that comment. Words of encouragement like these really do inspire me to work even harder on the show. When I think that someone went out of their way to let me know they like what I do, well, it means a lot. Thanks. Tale of the Manticore would not be half as good without my excellent cast of voice actors. This episode features Rose Fingers, given voice by returning actor Ricardo Ball. He's both a radio host and the vocalist in the band Just One Fix. Check out Just One Fix NZ on Facebook, at Just One Fix Band on X, or Just One Fix NZ on Instagram. Also back on the show is Kane McNamara in the role of the Tumbledye Inn's barkeep. Contact him by email at kane.mcnamara.audio at gmail.com. For listeners who'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on X or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And of course, there's always email, taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff. There's show notes, maps, art, crafts, that kind of thing. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Oh, hi there. Do you like D&D? Do you like talking about D&D? Do you like listening to people talk about D&D? Then I've got just the thing for you. Here at the Roll 4 Podcast, we talk about D&D. We explore in-game history and lore. We deep dive into races and classes. And we discuss our personal experience and offer advice for DMs and players both old and new. And we don't do it in this ridiculous voice. The Roll 4 Podcast. Find us wherever you get podcasts.